0: Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. And I'm really excited to have Tia today. Now, Tia, is from Mongolia and so she's actually come from nomadic living in the Mongolian Plains to corporate life in Australia. So we're going to hear a lot about Tia's journey which was actually via China as well. She will share all of those exciting stories with us today. What's really important, she's also a mother of a two-year-old, a yoga and meditation teacher, and recently started her business in career coaching. So Tia, this this is literally six hats it's about how women take on so many roles and you literally have described it to a T. you're a mom you've got a partner you have your own corporate career that's happening plus you run your business so tia welcome i don't know how you do it but we're gonna go into that
1: well thank you so much Shami, and thanks for inviting me to your a lovely podcast and i've been listening to it it's really interesting and I think you cover a really you know necessary and very current topics so yes I'm quite honoured to be here.
0: Amazing. So Tia i love for you to share with our listeners life in Mongolia as a nomad. I know I've been to Mongolia many years ago and it's really funny isn't it because you go and you live in, with, with the Mongolian people in the nomadic plains and you suddenly realise that's where we want to get to. You know the nature everywhere just waking up to the sun going to bed when the sun goes down and they are quite keen to come away to the western world as well so we're like literally yearning for each other's lives so i would love to be to start sharing your experiences growing up in mongolia and your journey to australia
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, especially since I came to Australia and I'll probably actually since I left Mogoya, I started to think a lot about, you know, the way that we grew up and how it actually impacted us as an individual. And I think if you ask anyone who was probably, you know, born in eighties or you know, seventies or even nineties, you would see pretty much everyone having that experiences of being a nomad, you know, having a first hand experience of being a nomad. So my parents are the very first generations of nomads who actually left the, the nomadic lifestyle to get an education, to then get settled into a small towns. My father, he is an army of and so he was sent to an army school, you know, right after finishing high school. And then my mom is a nurse and they met when they were studying in their, you know, respective schools in the city. Now my grandparents and all of my aunts and uncles from my both side are still living as a nomads. Now that really means that, you know, my childhood was really filled with all of that, you know, very unique tribal and communal lifestyle of nomadic people, right? And when you think about what nomad, I think it's very difficult for people in this environment, in this very modern world, to understand what it actually that means. And nomads really are the practitioner of pure minimalism, because we just needed to have what we needed no more and no less right so nomads we do move four times a year so with each season we have to move our you know we have to pack just think about it you know we have to pack our home pack our animals and we have to move to the next destination and why do we do this is to simply follow the law of nature so when the summer comes you know we live in an open vast space very close to the river so there is you know plenty of you know space for the, our animals and cattle to graze in the grass. And when the autumn comes, we start moving a little bit closer to a little bit more sheltered place. And when the winter comes, which, you know, oftentimes it becomes minus 30 average, we need to go and find the shelter at the bottom of a mountain, pretty much hiding from the northern winds that's coming from Siberia, right? So when you think about it, we really live with the nature and move with the nature, you know? So the law of life, you know, the very pure existence of us is purely dependent on the nature, you know? How cold this winter would be, how rain would we get, right? Way of living that is so connected to the nature and dependent on the nature. So I grew up with this understanding of Every nature is everything. It determines our life, the quality of our life, you know, because one big winter could actually make nomads to lose their entire generations of properties. Because their property is not, you know, it's not a house, an apartment or car. Our property as nomads is the, the kettles, you know, the animals that we actually own. And those are incredibly vulnerable to the nature and disaster that it could happen, right? So I really grew up with that notion. And the very interesting thing about, you know, the biggest contrast I think I experienced when I moved away from my nomadic lifestyle into, you know, a city and settled context, especially right now in working in a corporate Australia, in one of the big four and in a very fast environment, my time right now is measured between my calendar, my Google calendar, you know, like I'm running between meetings from this time to this time. But then looking back, time was measured as a space between sun and the moon because we didn't have electricity. The moment that sun sets, it gets dark. That's the time for us to sleep. And the moment that the sun rises really early in the morning, that's when we wake up. So literally, we never had time or a clock that's hanging on a wall. We will measure the time by, okay, the sun is right up above that's you know the sharp noon. So that's when we do this. And then when the sun goes a little bit lower, that's when we do this. So the life was ruled by the movements of the sun as a space. So you know it's probably really difficult for people to understand that concept. But really looking back, it was so beautiful and so simple. And exactly when you say... You know, people from this Western country, just like you elaborated so beautifully, look for that. And oftentimes, nowadays, I actually question, you know, what are we running toward? You know, why are we rushing so much? And where are we going? You know, like we seem to be so in rush, right? Like, I don't have time. It's like a mantra for people that says every day, I don't have time for this. But then what do we have time for? Is what I always ask, you know, ask myself ask the people around me as well. And it's a really phenomenal foundation that I think really shaped my philosophy, you know, in the lens that I see, choose to see the world and choose to see, you know, what is this whole idea of existence that we have.
0: Absolutely. You described it beautifully and it actually takes me back to our trip. Mongolia. On a side note, I have to share this story to you about when you first arrived in Australia and how you were actually giving us yoga lessons. And remember the time you, you know, we scheduled a time and we expected like, you know, very Australian or very English, 9.30, right, 9.30 sharp, we expected the doorbell. And then Tia was like, For it just flows and I'll just come when I have to come and you know it'll be just all like 10 or 50 minutes later and then you were explaining that you never grew up in Mongolia just never set to a time you just kind of go right it's time to leave and you know not preparing for the bus times or you know the train times and taking it to account of all of that and I yeah. smile because I just would love to go to that point where you didn't have to worry about meeting a schedule and you just woke up and go right this is what I'm going to do, this is when I'm going to do it. Because you're right, we're literally constantly bound by this timetable that we've set ourselves in the Western Mm -hmm. world. You know, meet someone at 3 p.m. for coffee and then off to dinner and then, you know, we've got a meeting and it's so time conscious to the point it's adding so much extra stress on our day.
1: Absolutely. And I think also, you know, because we live as a community as we lived as a tribe, right? So there will be, I remember, I think it was my grandparents' yurt. You know, it's called a gear, a little white, like a house, you know, M- Mongolian traditional, like wooden, covered by beautiful white cotton cover and, you know, protected by felt. That's our home. It, it will be my grandparents and then a couple of my uncles. So it'll be like, you know, six, seven families live together. And we used to just, you know, some days some people will just choose not to make dinner and then just go to the next yard to have dinner, you know? And here I find this whole idea of like you're making an appointment weeks in advance to see one another, you know, still very disturbing idea, right? And I'm so bad at it. It's because I just don't have it in me to actually think like that, you know? And I think there's a good and bad, but... I just think that the contrast is really there and then it's it's something for us to think and reflect on, you know, this concept of time. And when you think about time, really, all we really have is a time, right? Like it's really incredibly crucial. And if you're not really using it meaningfully, then this life is wasted in a way. You know, what's the point of living if this time is not meaningful, right? So yeah, it's um, I ponder and I think about this sort of thing quite a lot, especially now I have a kid and become a mom and you know think to my land and how I want to raise my kid. and I see that in kids, you know Kim doesn't again, it does not exist this concept of time for them. You know, when I take my little kid out for a walk, he would like to touch and smell and notice every single thing right? And it's so beautiful. But then if I'm doing that in the very limited time of my lunch break, then I find myself trying to rush my kid because that's the context. I think, again, kids are a beautiful tool for us to be very grounded in the moment and tap into that, you know, a power of presence. I'm finding it in a very beautiful way with my little boy.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. I love to take you on that journey when you went to China, because it was complete opposite to Mongolia. You were in high-rise buildings in the middle of the city. It was super crowded. You were living quite a, actually the start of your corporate life there. What was that like? How did that change affect you?
1: Yeah, that was a really fun time. So I had this really cool opportunity to do internship in this really fancy consulting firm that was in Beijing, right? So I took the, you know, the big leap of faith and I said all right I'm going to give it a go because I was just so crazy about exploring the world and I knew that I kind of wanted to be a different type of nomad you know I sort of knew that I wanted to be a modern nomad the one who not only travels the steps of my country but also you know the the entire world and I still remember that day that, you know, it was it was a very hot summer day as well when I first landed in Beijing. And, you know, Mongolia, if you actually have the opportunity or listeners to go and make it to Mongolia, there is this beautiful smell of fresh air when you land. It's very typical and you feel free, yeah? Because there's this crisp and coldness in the air. And I remember landing in China thinking felt like a sauna, you know, because of the humidity and the hot. So that was like it captivated me in a way. And it was very shocking in one way. Another thing is I landed there with the with the train and it was literally millions of people in a Beijing train station. It's in the the city center and there's just people going this way, that way, everywhere. And how it was incredible, you know, so I was in my early twenties. I was just living the life there, finding a new whole new identity as well you know being far away from my family and all and really starting this incredibly successful career not only in the corporate actually in the space of diplomacy where I started working for Australian government and in a way I was living I was living the life from the outside right but then deep inside of me you know after living there for like two years I remember I felt incredibly disconnected from myself yeah, so I just remember feeling incredibly disconnected from my, you know, from my body. And I think at the time, I really didn't understand what was happening. But looking back now, I think the impact, the noise, the business, and this very high paced lifestyle was really getting into me because that's when I experienced this idea of, you know, a burnout, you know, a bit of an anxiety, not feeling whole with myself and that's a very new feeling because I grew up as very complete and very content and very in touch with myself right so that's when interestingly I think I I just started looking for a way of you know how, what can I do? And I think I remember having a conversation with myself. I think I should probably leave this lifestyle and go back to Mongolia to where I come from to find a bit of a peace in myself. And funny enough, that's when I very accidentally and very beautifully stumbled across yoga and meditation through a beautiful friend. So I took my very first yoga class with this Indian teacher and it was phenomenal, Shami. I remember, you know, flowing through this very traditional hatha style yoga class for 90 minutes and then lying down there in a shavasana at the end of my practice and just feeling that connection with my body again you know and that was this big aha moment that wow this is what i could use as a tools to actually continue this you know journey as a modern nomad but Still being connected with myself. So that's how I actually started with my whole yoga and meditation journey. And that was 2000, early 2009. And I've been practicing that ever since and really used that as a tool to root me down to my own, you know, my own identity, my own essence, my own self in a way, regardless of, you know, which country or which environment that I'm in. And it's been tremendous in helping me to actually navigate this, an interesting journey.
0: Absolutely. So what does
1: yoga and
0: meditation do for you now that you are in Australia, you know, living that corporate life?
1: So having two year old, you can imagine, two year old, it's a time that, you know, he's everywhere, right? He's incredibly demanding, asks for attention and a lot of love and obviously a lot of engagement that I need to dedicate to him as a mom that I want to. And also I work full-time, not a part-time that makes it incredibly challenging to be able to drive a team and work in an incredibly fast-paced environment. So I work as a work for Solutions business advisor, and now I'm stepping up into being a business partner, managing a team of eight, nine people. So the challenge for the 2023 is real, right? Managing people. And again, trying to be my best version every single day. So what you asked, I think is so beautiful what yoga and, you know, meditation really means for me. If you see everything that I do, I guess, you know, as as a person, You know, we wear so many different hats, right? And I don't think it's only me, but, you know, every woman, every man, we do wear a lot of different hats. But I think the question is, can you bring your best version to each of the hats that you're wearing, right? Can I be the best version of myself at work? And then after, you know, eight, nine hours of work, can I still bring that best version of myself to my kids? And what really my own self-practice of yoga and mindfulness is really that tool to bring me back into this beginner place every single day to start the day as if it's, you know, it's it's a new day. Because what happens, Shami, is that when we are not really aware of our mental health or our thought patterns, what we have experienced, the emotions, and mostly negative emotions from the previous days, tends to get carried with us into the next day. And that actually manifests itself into an action and a behavior. And then we start going in this cycle of a negative cycle, right? Because life, a lot of interesting challenges. So we need to really put a stop into whatever happened on that day, to meditate ourselves away and cleanse our mind and our body to go to the next day as a fresh, as a new. I can't imagine being able to do everything that I do wholeheartedly without having my own self-practice, really. That's
0: how I would do it, I think. I love how you described it. I can just visualize that, you know, just offloading today and just starting it fresh the next day because often we actually carry a lot of baggage with us and it's those thoughts. It could be ruminating thoughts of problems in the past or what's been said yesterday and that just weighs us down. And I love what you say what meditation does. It's like a cleanse. I love the analogy and I can't live without it as well. It has to start. I have to start the day with it just to make sure I'm, I'm in the zone. I am fully conscious and mindful as well. So I love, and I love what you said, but most importantly, it really inspires others to look at it. What would you say in corporate Australia? What's your experience of it? What can... Happen that can be different to manage stress levels? Because I know many, many people are sort of reaching burnout or they're working long hours. They don't realize it now, but may have an impact in the future. What could they do
1: differently? Yeah, absolutely. And I think now, you know, having looking back, having worked in several places, I would say that there's an incredible potential to actually use mindfulness as a tool to not only actually increase productivity because you know i think corporate australia really needs to i think there's a lot of awareness and understanding about the impact of mindfulness and its link when you actually think about the commercial link and i always think about it from the perspective of you know my current organization for instance pwc is where i work and there's an incredible awareness and hunger around integrating mindfulness into our workday so they are providing a lot of tools and a lot of conversations around that, you know, how can you actually integrate that? How can we help our, you know, cohort of staff? You know, how can we engage people? How can we address this burnout? And I think there's incredible appetite from not only from my company, but I think just the wider economy, the wider corporate culture. But what I think is missing is really enabling the people to actually give them a tool. You know, how does it look like? Because Funny enough, like, you know, I've been reading a, quite a lot of the books that, you know, Mr. Ayangar has written, this uh, incredible, you know, yoga teacher and a master from India. And there's this word that like, it doesn't matter how many hundreds of books that you read on meditation, you would never understand the benefit of it until you actually sit down and meditate for five minutes. I think. The shift, in my opinion, from conversation around mental health should really shift into the giving the tools. And you need to think about how does the tool look like? So in my opinion, if we have an access in our calendar, in a very practical sense, right, in our work calendar, an access to log into a meditation class once a week for 20 minutes, that's an incredible tool that we can actually provide people on a consistent level, on consistent basis. So people might join in once and then they have a taste of it right? And then they know that that's available, that's there. And I think this is what a lot of the companies are doing. And actually, uh, this is something that I'm doing It's my work as well. And just as my way of, you know, contributing to this beautiful organization that I'm part of and working with people who has an incredible, have recently launched a, um, a meditation series along with Be Well PWC group. So it's a you know group of amazing people that comes together and organizes a well-being activities for the staff of the calendar year so we have recently launched it and it's been received really really well and i'm so excited what we would actually achieve you know this financial year with this initiative and i think this is probably and you know that's where i'm looking at right like can we Trial it out, you know? And is this something that people are incredibly hungry? And you know, you'll be surprised, Shami. I thought initially that people will be very interested in joining the meditation in the office but then i started to see the data of people expressing an interest for a virtual meditation because we do so we have launched the program as one-time office meditation in the in person meditation in the office and then the exact same themed meditation virtually and you could see the contrast you know people are choosing to tune in to meditate virtually from wherever they are working
0: what if- Beautiful initiative, Tia. And you're absolutely right. It's it's about the tools. It's about getting them to experience it and not just educating or talking, but actually fully experiencing it. I think what a what a brilliant initiative. Thank you so much, Tia, for your amazing stories and just a wealth of wisdom. And it will really inspire so many people to get onto meditation and how you use it as an amazing tool. And yeah, thank you so much for your time today.
1: No, absolutely. And I think I just want to leave your listeners with this you know with this talk or this question. You know, like we get so stressed about our technologies running out of battery. You know, when our phone is below ten percent, fifteen percent, we are running around looking for a charger to charge our phone. But why don't we think about that for our brain? you know, and we use our brain to create, to think, to solve problems, to love, to analyze things and to make, you know, life-changing decisions. Why do we just assume that our brain doesn't need to be charging? And really the charger for our brain is the meditation. So that's what I would like to leave
0: the audience with. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And too, if people want to get in touch with you, because I know you're doing various projects, including career
1: coaching, how can they get in Mm -hmm. touch with you? Well, I have recently, actually over a year ago now, been running mindfulness integrated uh, career coaching especially you know dedicated for really young professionals who is trying to take the career to the next level and it's called mentor manifesto so I have a small audience on instagram and that's where I usually share some stories and post some content and stuff so they could find me on instagram as a mentor manifesto and I'm also quite active on LinkedIn as well so if you are professional and wanting to you know hear more about meditation mindfulness and you know its connection to our career aspirations and LinkedIn is probably the best place to get in touch with me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tia. Absolute pleasure.
0: Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take-home message today? Remember, it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.